Hi, I'm Maddie, and I don't have a hobby. Hi, I'm Haley, and I have too many hobbies. And I've taken it upon myself to get Maddie hooked on just about anything. In this podcast, we're talking true crime. We're talking Enneagram. We're talking mental health. We're talking Scientology. And just about everything in between. So we're inviting you on a journey that you definitely didn't ask to be invited on. In the hopes that you too would like to be Average, average girls Average and Welcome back to the podcast. So excited. You are? I feel like we haven't done this in a while. Well, we haven't recorded in a while, actually. Well, that's not even true. It was last week. Well, it feels like a long time. Yeah. I just like it. I just missed you. I know. I missed you, too. Maddie and I don't do well away from each other at all. I know. It's weird. I really wanted to do my research for this episode and do all of the conspiracies that are going around, like, TikTok right now with, like, Pizzagate and Wayfair and all of that. Oh. It's on my list. I think we should do it Eventually. next week or the week after or whatever. But I am very uh, into all that right now. Oh, my gosh. I can't stop. And people I keep know. sending them to me, too, to be like, have you looked into this? And you know what? Of course I have. <laughs> Don't offend me. My stomach is so loud right now that is I it? would not be surprised if it was being picked up by the mic. I feel I like al- I did just hear it. I also think – does your stomach – Make noises 24-7? Not 24-7, but every time I lay down. Literally, whenever I get married, it's going to have to be a joke. Otherwise, it's just embarrassing. Because anytime I lay down, my stomach, like... No, me too. Is a, It just sounds like a person talking. I My stomach makes noises all day, every day. Really? I think I'm eating something that, like, it's probably dairy. That, like, really bugs <laughs> but me. But am I going to do anything about it? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're going to jump into our hot take and stop talking about... Well, we could keep talking about it. You know what I want to do? I want to do one of those gut things, but I'm pretty sure you have to like put poop in a tube or something, I think. And it tells you like what is in your gut and what you need to eat more of to get like healthy bacteria in your gut or something. I would do that. I would too, but even though if I have to poop in a tube, I'm not doing it. What? Just shut up. What? Just put poop in a tube. It's not that hard. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Moving on. Hot take. Okay, so today I wanted to do a hot take on what our toxic traits are which like these can be serious things but i think it'd be funny to do like our dumb toxic traits define toxic trait though well that's the thing there's like a funny version like one of my toxic traits like okay you've already thought of you see this on um people's like twitter or instagram or those dumb meme accounts that just post the same thing right um like they're like my toxic trait is laughing when in a really serious moment okay like something yes. dumb like that okay could be like a quote-unquote toxic trait what if i don't have any um you do i'm wrong my toxic trait is that i don't think i have any toxic traits um, i just i can't stop thinking about like really really dumb adult ones that I just like I'm not a real adult yeah like I buy $80 worth of like healthy food and then I eat Moe's okay that makes sense my toxic trait is well this is like my serious one I don't want to start off with my serious it's not even really a serious one though I guess but I never realized that it was Nicoletta said it last night and I started cracking up because I never realized that this was something that 
I don't know. I just didn't think about it. But she was like, you just have this way of imposing on people's boundaries with – and no, but nobody gets mad at you. Like you just do it and people look up and you've accidentally infiltrated all areas of their life. And I was like, what? And her example was whenever Jordan comes over, he brings his food and he's – we. I always tease him because he brings food over and, and doesn't touch it for like four hours. And then mm-hmm. like on hour five, he'll kind of pick at it and then leaves it out. Like – I'm like, you can't leave your Panda Express out. But then by the end of the night, I've had like four pieces of his chicken. Like I definitely have. And that's what Nicoletta was explaining to him. She was like, no, she just somehow pushes your boundaries and you don't even realize it. And then you're like, wait a minute. I just let her come and spoon me. But why did I let her do that? (laughs) Like she was like, I think that like I could be sitting in my underwear in bed and you would come and scooch next to me and I wouldn't care. But like, why don't I care? Like that's weird. Yeah, that's true. But I guess it's not really a toxic trait, but it, it could be, I guess. Yeah, depending on the person. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you're around a five. This one's real. I forget everything. You actually forget everything. I, I need to, like, take a supplement and then eat a lot of, like, brain food because I... Yeah, your memory is so bad. bad. It's so bad. There's, like, a lot of times I think Maddie and I had a moment and then, she, like, I'll bring it up later <laughs> and she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, oh, okay, I thought we had... We bonded over that, but I guess You know not. those TikToks that are like their top five core memories or something? Uh-huh. I saw this one where he like was like my top core memories and then the music drops and that's when it's supposed to like list the, the yeah. core memories or whatever. And he basically oh. says like <laughs> – I don't remember anything. <laughs> not a single thing do I remember about my whole entire <laughs> freaking life. And I was like, that's actually me. I don't remember You don't. Anything. My toxic trait, you're going to agree with immediately, is cracking everybody's knuckles. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> probably the thing I like least about you. It makes me so I, It really is my knee-jerk reaction. I can't. It, it's like, it's just like I do it mindlessly. I don't get frustrated very quickly, and that has such a short fuse with me. I literally <laughs> have to restrain myself from, like, punching you in the jaw really quick. Well, here's the thing. I do it to everyone just automatically. So my – I don't – I terrible. genuinely do not remember who loves it and who doesn't. And there are people that ask me to do you it. You know I hate it. But, no, I forget, no, Maddie. I genuinely no, – I don't. swear to God I forget. No, you don't. Wait. How about you say one of mine and I'll say one of yours? Okay. Your toxic trait is falling asleep whenever you're supposed to be somewhere. What do you mean? You Sometimes you just don't – if you don't show up or you don't answer my texts or you, you're supposed to be here and you're mm-hmm. not, it's because you fell asleep. That's true. Um, Your toxic trait is leaving unannounced. Like, you'll just <laughs> disappear and it'll – even if it's at your own house, you won't kick us out. You'll just disappear upstairs. And I'm like, what? where's Haley? I'm, I'm trying to show her this video. Like, she's And I've been gone I've been gone for just 30 minutes. minutes ago, I thought. And then all of a sudden you're in your room with the door locked. Those are toxic traits. Um, now that everybody knows about us, feel free to let us know our other toxic traits that we didn't mention because I think about my fatal flaw at least three times a day. Um, okay, so we're going to talk about this one. I've been super excited. I've had this whole episode typed out for like a couple months. And every time we go to record an episode, I hope that we do this one and we haven't done it. So this one is going to be multiple true crime cases in one. But these are all not unsolved, so you shouldn't be too scared. Okay. So this whole episode is going to be on family annihilators. Do you know what family annihilators are? People who kill their whole family? Yes. So there's different kinds of family annihilators. And so I went back and I looked at like what the statistics and stuff are because I think they're wild. Like I can't fathom it. And so in most of these cases, it's the dad that kills the entire family. So you don't really have to worry about that. (laughs) Oh my God. I meant because you did 
not. Oh my god, that's, that's not what I meant. I meant because you live, you're older, and your dad oh, doesn't. Right, it's right, gone. right. Okay. That's funny. Oh my god. <laughs> that's funny. One tear falls like, out of your right eye. Saying it through my teeth. That's, that's funny. so funny. I have to oh, go god. suddenly. There's a family emergency. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, so basically, a family annihilator is—we're never going to recover from that. Someone who kills the every member of their family, but most commonly killing all of them, including themselves. One third of—it's called familicide. Fam, famili, yeah, yeah, familicide. For some reason, I always feel like I'm saying that word wrong. Formaldehyde. Formaldehyde. Um, what's from <laughs> formaldehyde? That's in the um. Whenever you do the lawn. What? No. Whenever you <laughs> oh, dissect an animal. Oh, my God. No, formaldehyde is what – I think it's – I'm pretty sure it's whenever you dissect an animal, that's what they put in yes. it. Yes. One-third of familicide cases have financial issues at the root of the issue, but a lot of it comes from a deep sense of male shame, so that's probably why 95% of family annihilators are male. Um, so some fun facts about familicide <laughs> that are super fun. In 32% of cases, the method of killing was stabbing. Oh, I know, right? Or 15% involving carbon monoxide poisoning from a car exhaust, which I feel like is the kindest way to kill someone out of all the ways of killing anyone. Most offenders were employed and aged between 30 to 39 years old at the time. So write that down if that's the risk area. Once they're, you know, out of that age bracket, you're in the clear. 68 to 81% of cases, the male annihilator um, committed suicide. is what you inject into animals. <gasps> so I'm a genius. Essentially. Okay, so there's a bunch of different reasons why that kind of thing happens. Number one is breakdown in the family relationships and issues surrounding access to the children. So they, people, like, might kill their kids to get back at their wife. Or um, if there's, like, an affair or something, they might kill the whole family because it's like, well, the whole family's gone to shit, so we'll just kill everyone. Oh. Yeah. Um, logic. Yeah, I love it. Two is money worries and financial hardship. They think they're going to save the family from – or save the family or themselves from shame. Three is cultural honor killings, and four is mental illness. So there's a bunch of different kinds, and honestly, I wrote this so long ago that I don't remember which ones are which, so we're just going to read off of them. I have every type on here, um, but there's four different ones, so I'm going to try to do them kind of quick. I do. I added one female one because I thought it would be kind of fun. You know what I mean? Yeah, so that I could have something that could potentially happen to me, maybe. Well, you would have to be the family annihilator. No, I have a mom. Oh. <laughs> you just oh. think I'm an orphan. Well, yeah, but it's from it's we can't ever recover from this. Um, I'm ashamed. Um, first one is actually probably one of my favorites and it's super interesting. I'm concerned that you have a favorite. Okay, but okay, I've also discovered this is actually one of my toxic traits because I discovered this about myself the other day in the shower. I think that my brain, and I don't know if this is a human thing or if this is just me, so you'll have to tell me. I think I I think of everything in terms of favorites. Everything in my head is ranked with favorites, even if it's, like, my favorite of the worst things that's ever happened. Like, really? everything in my brain. You could ask me my favorite anything, and I have a favorite. What? Yeah. That's true, actually. You, of you or of me? No, no, of you. I don't have a favorite anything. <laughs> the difference between me and you. Actually, no, I really don't. Really? I have a favorite color and a favorite ice cream and, like, a favorite. I guess I have some favorites. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, I'll have favorites for, like, my favorite thing you've ever said. Or, like, yeah, my what? favorite. Yeah. Everything in my head is ranked as favorites. That's very interesting. Okay. Anyways. So, John List is our first one. Um, and I believe, if I'm saying this right, I'm pretty sure he was the anomic type, which I'll explain. Okay. Okay. 
Um, and so he's one of the more common types, believe it or not. So this starts in the fall of 1971 in Westfield, New Jersey, in a 19-room Victorian mansion where John Liss lives with his wife, Helen, his three children, and his mother, Alma. Uh, and so John is 46. He's an accountant. He's a devout Lutheran. And people around town call him quiet, unsuspecting, and polite. So they've lived in Westfield for six years. So obviously he has to kill everyone because he's quiet, is unsuspecting, Alma and polite. Alma, like, I don't get it. Ligma balls. <laughs> I don't get it. Ligma balls. Yeah, but why would Alma be? It, just, Alma has nothing to do with anything. I was just trying to finesse ligma into the Where scenario. did you hear that joke? What do you mean? Everyone's heard that joke. What? Ligma. Um, <laughs> also, this isn't even funny. It's not. I'm more so laughing that your response was nothing. <laughs> I just looked at you. This is like another one of those things where you're laughing at a fart joke or a poop joke, and I'm just, I hate my life while I'm sitting Shut here. Up. <laughs> okay. Um, I do. Okay, I'm with the show. It's November 9th, 1971. Letters arrive at the kids' school, the three list children. There's Patty, who's 16, John is 15, and Frederick is 13. All terrible names. I was uh, just going <laughs> to say that. Well, no, I just can't. John, I mean, it's fine, but who looks at a baby and thinks, Patty. Oh. <laughs> and I think of that with old people names all the time. Like baby Carl, baby <laughs> Sylvester. My sister was thinking about naming my niece Opal. If that's Allie. Like the most grandma. Name I just want to say I'm so glad that her name is Lucy and not Opal. I know. That's terrible. Okay. So letters come into the kids' school. They're from John List, and he writes that the family had a sick relative out of town, and so they were going to go leave town for a few weeks to take care of the kids. So it's like their school excuse, which I guess in the 70s kind of works, whatever. So for the next few weeks, um, the family isn't around. No one's there. The family lights are on inside of the house, um, indicating to the neighbors that people are home. They don't have any reason to suspect anything. And they're like a quiet, unsuspecting family. You wouldn't think anything. Mm -hmm. But they notice that lights start going out in the house one by one, like window by window. So on December 7th, remember, the notes came in on November 9th. So this is almost a month later. Oh. Um, the police are called by neighbors who are starting to get suspicious because they haven't seen them in over a month. So the police decide to go and check it out. And the police are worried that Alma might still be inside and that maybe she's fallen and that no one is there to pick her up. So the police decide to go in through an unlocked window. So they get into the kitchen and that's where they see blood stains on the floor. So there's music playing in the house, which I think is the most terrifying thing ever. Yeah. And it's classical, serene music. No. Right. They go into a ballroom, if that tells you how much money these people have. They go into the ballroom, and on the opposite side of the house, there's drapes over the archway. And so they pull the drapes back to the entryway, and they find bodies in sleeping bags with their faces covered, oh like lined gosh. up neatly in the ballroom with like classical music playing really loudly throughout the entire house. Disgusting. So in a neat row are the bodies of Helen List and her three children. The only one um, that's been shot several times is John, but everyone else has just been shot once. John is the middle child. So they search the house oh and upstairs they find Alma, his mom, in a back bedroom shot once also. The only one who's not there John List. In his office, they find a letter that's written to his pastor of his church, because remember, he's a devout Lutheran. In it, he takes full responsibility for the murders. He wanted to spare his family the pain of poverty as he was facing bankruptcy and hadn't told anybody. Oh my gosh. He also wrote in the letter, P.S. Mother is in the hallway in the attic on the third floor. She was too heavy to move. Oh my gosh. Isn't that the most horrifying sentence? Well, yeah. And I just think about 
someone had to die first mm-hmm. so the other ones had to have been freaking out mm-hmm. like are the little kids running and hiding well and i'll tell you because he tells he, he explains everything oh my gosh so well you'll hear so oh. now he's a fugitive and he has a month on them because they didn't find the bodies for a month wow they find his chevy impala at jfk airport just parked there just chilling and so for 20 years that's the last that anyone hears of john list for 20 years for 20 but years but then it came back up Mm-hmm. I don't understand how you can just like kill your whole family and then drive to the airport and like go anywhere you want. Like no one knows mm-hmm. at that point. Like you can just kind of get away with it. But also, how did the neighbors not hear he killed how many people? Um, five. Five gunshots, and then the extra ones that were in. He could have used like a thing on it. A uh, oh, what's it called? A mo- uh, uh, it's like a silencer. Yeah, I forget what it is. is that uh, what it's called? I don't uh, remember. Okay, do you want to know where he goes? Yes, I do. Okay, so he goes to Denver, and he changes his name to Robert P. Clark. How someone just changes their name, I'm not exactly sure, but he does. And he decides to become a cook at a hotel. And back in Westfield, there's zero leads. Like, the police literally have no idea because it's been a month. They're, they don't, they don't know anything. They don't have security footage of him, like, it's in the 70s. Yeah, they got nothing. So they um, go to America's Most Wanted, but they're turned down. Eventually, uh, like, a couple years later, they say, like, fine, we'll take we'll take it. We'll put it on America's Most Wanted because they haven't seen him in 20 years. So by that time, he had married Dolores Miller and as Robert P. Clark. He becomes an accountant again, and he's living a relaxing life in Richmond, Virginia, where he moved with his wife. He, every night, watches America's Most Wanted with his wife, Dolores, and just chills out and has some popcorn. What a ballsy guy. Right? And he's looking at videos and stuff of him. He's weird. Like, he's very um, – he ends up getting diagnosed later, and I'll explain it, but he gets diagnosed with a severe form of um, OCD. He's very, like, prim and proper and serious and – like, I don't know. He's weird. Like, it's bizarre. So he thought that maybe he might be on it one day, but he really wasn't waiting for it. He figured, like, meh, whatever. It, it turns out it's a big thing on America's Most Wanted because it's the oldest uh, one that they had ever done. Like, the oldest America's Most Wanted that hadn't been solved. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, like, they brought it back after years. Yeah, and they're like, we've never had anything. one this old that hasn't been solved. So in on the episode, they create a plaster head of what he would have looked like 20 years after the murder. And he sees it and he sees his face. And in the, once they, he, they find him later on, spoiler alert, they find him. He says, I was surprised it was so accurate. Like he's looking at a picture on America's Most Wanted of his plaster head of a face. And he was like, oh, yeah, that looks a lot like me. And for some reason, his wife is like, doesn't even think anything of it. I She's was like, just going to say, nope. did the wife, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. How terrible. Well, and it was so accurate that as soon as it happens, 200 tips are phoned in, like, immediately Whoa. from, like, all over the country. Because, But he is, like, a very average-looking guy. He looks like somebody who could just blend in. Yeah. But one call did stand out, and it's from a uh, next-door neighbor from Denver that knew Robert P. Oh. Clark. So the FBI is contacted 11 days later in 1989. Federal agents arrive at the home of John List, who is Robert P. Clark. Dolores immediately doesn't buy it, and she has such full confidence in her husband, Bob, that she literally tells them where to find him at work. They're like, yeah, this is the office he works in. Go talk to him. He has nothing to do with it. So Bob is fingerprinted, and immediately it's a match. Jig is up. But he tries to deny it for a second. But his name's Bob? Well, his name is John List, but he changed his name to Robert P. Clark. Oh, I forgot it was that I forgot it was Robert at one point, and I was like, how'd it get to Bob? He has seven names, yeah. Um, 
So eventually he is charged as guilty for the murders. And so he's met, he, he meets with a psychiatrist and he tells them everything about why it happened, how it happened, everything. So the psychiatrist says that his marriage to Helen was the first in a string of disappointments for him that caused him to become completely unhinged. Apparently she told him that she was pregnant so that he would marry her. Yeah. Uh, And so he did. Turns out not pregnant. So he's bitter about that already, but he's a devout Lutheran. He's like, I'm not going to get a divorce. This is just how it's going to go. Also, whatever, just whatever. like, I would not want to be married to someone who only married me because I told them yeah. I was going to have a Yeah, you had to kid. trick them into it. Yeah. yeah. All the children are born within four years of each other. He becomes an accountant. The family moves, and he changes jobs a lot. It turns out he's often let go, not because of his job performance. He was a good accountant, but his personality apparently is very off-putting. <laughs> Imagine being fired for your personality. <laughs> that sucks. Well, makes sense when you're literally a murderer. Well, but this is before he was a murderer, but I guess yeah, maybe he was but... budding. Ooh, I wonder if we know any budding murderers. Ew, why would you say sorry, that? Sorry, 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 sorry. So he gets this huge house that apparently he doesn't even want. He borrows money from his mom to get the house because it's just this big house, and obviously his wife doesn't work. So his mom comes and moves in with them, and apparently it's all a bunch of pressure. Alma apparently is really overbearing, and he's having marriage problems. So a lot of stress. Granted, not stress that a lot of other people don't have, but here we are. So he gets fired from the bank in 1966, and he starts to see himself as a failure. No one in Westfield thinks that he's a failure, though, mostly because each morning, John List puts on a suit, goes to the train station, and rides the train all day and doesn't tell his wife that he doesn't have a job. Mm-hmm. Oh, just say it. He starts to get resentful that he has to provide for this family, but he doesn't have a job. Why and doesn't I, he like job search? Um, I think because he sees himself as a failure now, and now he has like a complex about it, and it might be a pride thing. And but like, whatever. if you're so mad about it, then like change it. Mm, well, I guess at this point he's just over it. So he starts to he contemplate. Just rides the train all day mm-hmm. and doesn't think like yeah. maybe I should try and interview somewhere. Yep. Packs lunch, bye honey, gives the kids a kiss goodbye, gets on the train, rides it all day, comes back. And well, he's like racking up a ton of debt because he just is like paying for all of his bills and like on a credit card. I was going to say, they obviously don't have a joint bank account. <laughs> I, apparently not. I don't, I, she might have been one of those like 1960s really housewives that's like, let him do the, the work. Yeah. yeah. So first he contemplates suicide, but it's a mortal sin. And so then he thinks, okay, I could just leave and disappear, but... I have too much pride and he doesn't want, he thinks that poverty is also a sin and he doesn't want his whole family to go to hell because he thinks they're going to be in poverty and he can't have that. This is terrible logic. All of it. 100%. I don't want to kill myself. Well, he has OCD. So he gets fixated. It's the unforgivable sin. But Mm -hmm. so why don't I just kill my whole family? Right. Well, he gets into that. So for several weeks up to a month, he decides that the only way out of this whole situation is to kill them. So he thinks that it'll save them from financial ruin and it, they would still go to heaven, which is really important to him because he because, says, I do love my family. Because they were murdered. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that God will eventually forgive him. But why does he think poverty is a sin? Um, I don't know. Where does it where doesn't, does he even get that? No, no one knows. It's just flawed it's the dumbest thing. theology. Um, so he gets fixated. He has like these obsessive thoughts. He can't stop thinking about it. Has to do it has to kill them. It's the only way to make this right. And he, yeah. Um, He says that that morning he had breakfast with his kids, knowing that that was the day he was going to kill them. He tries to act normal. He goes and he gets the gun. Once they leave for school, he shoots Helen first when he gets inside. He takes her body, drags it into the ballroom on a sleeping bag. He then kills Alma after she gives him a kiss that morning. Um, She says, what was that noise from downstairs? 
And he said, I'm not sure. And then as soon as she turned around, he just shot her in the back of the head. Whoa. Cleans up the evidence of those two. Writes the kids' letters to the school. Withdraws more than $2,000 from their account. Stops the mail from coming to their house. Makes himself a sandwich. Waits for the kids to come home. Uh, he said that once he started, once he killed Helen, he had no second thoughts. He was had second thoughts up until that point. But after he killed Helen, he knew he had to kill the rest of them because he didn't want them to suffer knowing what he did. I get so frustrated, like, about poor decisions but like they're murderers yeah, like, yeah they're yeah. obviously not gonna like have a moment of clarity no, but no i'm no. like why would they do this Isn't oh my god crazy? clearly they're not thinking right <laughs> they're like not john he could never i just don't know why i get so frustrated about like the right decision yeah yeah yeah. when they're literally like very mentally not clearly yeah. yeah his ocd was like obviously way out of hand at this point yeah so then patty comes home the 16 year old he sneaks up behind her as she comes into the kitchen, shoots her, moves her body into the ballroom next to her mother. Frederick comes home next, that 13-year-old, shoots him in the back of the head, places him in the ballroom. Then, here's this aside, he goes and he picks up John from school, which he, like, never does. He watches his soccer game, like, with him. At, like, that's why he wasn't home with them. Watches the soccer game and takes him home, drives him home. They walk in through the kitchen door. Father comes up behind him and shoots him in the head. Isn't that so sad? Um, John apparently didn't just drop like the others. He kind of like jerked around a little bit. They don't know if it was that he was still alive or it was just like a, like a physical response sort of. So that's why he shot him extra time. Yeah. And he like panicked and he just kept shooting him. So he shot him 10 times out of like, I think he like freaked out and he said it was really important to them that he didn't really important to him that they didn't suffer. And so I think as soon as he realized he was still moving, he like panicked and just kept shooting. That's a very oh, exactly. John says that none of them suffered. He cleaned it up and he said that it, he didn't even feel upset about it. He just felt so relieved like this burden was off of him Whoa. and that he had saved them. Whoa. Um, he, a weird narrative to tell yourself. He also said, and this tells you a lot about his OCD, he said he felt really good that the whole thing went uninterrupted and that he did it exactly as he planned. Like the fact that it went exactly how it was supposed to go mm -hmm. from A to Z felt really good to him. And he was super relieved. He said he sat down, ate dinner by himself. And he said that it reminded him of the war, how he could like compartmentalize like this thing from this thing. Oh. And he was like, oh yeah, it reminded me a lot of being in the war. That's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Super weird. Goes to bed with his family downstairs. Said he had a good night's sleep. Takes the thermostat down to 50 so that it would slow down the decomposition in the house. He put on the lights and the radio in case there was an intruder. He's like, I knew eventually they were going to find the bodies and, like, question what the heck was going on. But he wanted to, like, slow it down so he could get away. And he also wanted to have the lights on and stuff. So then people – that way, like, people wouldn't say, see an empty house and come to rob it and mm -hmm. find the bodies. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's why whenever they came in, there was that terrible haunting – Imagine! Ugh. You're a cop. You have to go check out this house thinking you might find an old I woman would, that fell. That's why I would never, ever sign up for that job because mm -mm. I would take one step in the door and be like, nope. Mm -mm. No, nope. no, no, way. no, 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 I'm not going in there. Classical no. music. Nope. Th I mean, there's no way I'm going in there. Ew. That just confirms that like in every scary movie where there's like this weird haunting, mm -hmm. like opera or like classical mm -hmm. music. <gasps> and it's like Opera. True. That feels so much even grosser. Okay. So now we're ready for the next family annihilator, yes. which would be Muhammad Riaz. And he is the disappointed hmm. kind of family annihilator where he has a cultural expectation for his family that his family did not meet. And mm. he has to kill them all. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so starts off. I don't know, but yes. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Kaniz and Muhammad have been married for 14 years. 
Um, Muhammad is from Pakistan. They get married in October of 1992, and they move to Britain. Um, so the couple has five children together. They have four girls and one son. Um, apparently, Muhammad is a super involved dad. He goes on trips with the kids. He always has the girls with him, like constantly. Um, and there's like an age gap. So the son is older, and then they have four younger girls. So apparently, all the girls are known as daddy's girls. He is known as of like a man of, of integrity. He's like very traditional. Um, Kaniz Riaz starts working full time once she has the girls and like the girls are all pretty young. Kaniz is 39, Sarah is 16, Sophie is 13, Alicia is 10, and Hannah is 3. Okay. So they're all really spread out. And then the son is, oh shit, I don't even have the son's age in here, but he's, I think he's like 20. Oh, okay. Kaniz starts working full time um, once she has the kids. And in 2005, there's a ton of stress going on in the family because Adam, their oldest son, is diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer. Earlier that year, Kanis wanted a separation from Muhammad. This is all in 2005. And Adam was given months to live like around the same time. So uh, there's a ton of stuff going on and mm -hmm. obviously not looking great. November of 2006, um, the Raya's home is on fire. And so at the time of the fire, four of the five children are asleep inside. Oh, gosh. So they go and they investigate the house um, after the fire and they find that six bodies are brought out only one of which is still alive, which is Muhammad. Everyone else in the house has died. The doorway, the stairs, and the landing are all on fire. Adam was not in the house, and so he is still alive. I think he's in the hospital. Yeah, he is in the hospital at this point. That makes sense. He has terminal cancer, hears that his entire family, except for his dad, dies in a fire. Like, oh that's that has gosh. to, like, that's just a horror in itself. Yeah. His uncle comes in and tells him what happened. When they start investigating, though, they discover that the house was covered in gasoline and lighter fluid. <gasps> Oh, my gosh. It was the dad. Mm -hmm. um, Muhammad has DNA on the cans, and that he was and he was the only one who was not found in their bed. Everybody else was asleep and in bed. And he's the only one who made it out. Mm -hmm. um, there is splash petrol, which is I think is a lighter fluid, down the rooms, down the landings, down the hallways, the sides of the walls. It's like a very obvious arson. Like it wasn't yeah. even trying to be a cover-up, which there's a reason for that, which we'll get to. The home phone was also off the hook, so no one could call from upstairs. And obviously, this is 2006. I made enough cell phones. Police believe that he had attempted to kill himself, but that he didn't die in time. And so that's why he hadn't even tried to cover up the arson. He had, like, he thought he was going to die with them, but he just oh. messed up. Uh, and so he left DNA everywhere. So the news starts to go around that it might have been Muhammad. Adam's uncle tells Adam, like, he was like, I knew, I, I hated that I had to tell this kid dying of cancer that his dad probably killed his entire family, but he, like, it was At on the, the news. Time, yeah. Um, Adam's response was, I hate that bastard. I was just trying to get to know my family, and he just took that from me. They said that after that, he never again mentioned his father's name, um, and he just completely shut down. And people say that they think that that's why he just gave up trying to even live at that point. Like, there was no fight left in him after your whole family oh, dies. Yeah, it's terrible. So why the heck would he do this? Kniez, at the time of the murder, was working for a high-profile high community projects that fought against oppression and gender-based discrimination – um, she was known as being super independent, and Muhammad was not a fan. He really wanted her what? to stay at home with the kids. I was going to say, she sounds awesome. No, she does sound awesome. And he wants her to stay at home with the kids. She was not afraid to challenge him, which she was not a fan of. Oh, okay. Um, she was also really known as a member of the community, as like someone who really worked for the betterment of the community. Yeah. Um, and that was a threat to him. He wanted to be known as that, and he wasn't. So he tries to be controlling, but she just isn't even letting him be controlling. Not a fan. Kaniz's family is Pakistani, but they're super progressive, and Muhammad hates that. So once 
Kanisa's father died, Muhammad wants to take on the role as head of the family. And mm-hmm. Kanisa was like, uh, not going to happen, but he tried to go for it. So then they start having issues raising the kids. Um, they're considered westernized Muslim. He tried to get them to dress in Asian clothes rather than westernized clothes, but the kids their whole lives were wearing just westernized clothing, not Asian clothing. Um, after the dad died, he... Uh, was insistent that they had to start wearing Asian clothes, like all of the kids. And the kids were like, no, we go to regular school. Like no one else dresses like that. We don't want like, to. There isn't much of an Asian culture. Yeah. Asian. Yeah. And like, it's, yeah, it's not super common. And they just had never been raised like that. If all of a sudden you're like 16 years old and your dad wants you to start wearing Asian clothes and you're like, no, I'm, I want to wear jeans. Yeah. So he decides that he doesn't want them wearing certain things, going to movies. He starts policing their behavior at home to be more culturally consistent. He wants the girls to leave school at 16 and get engaged to Pakistani men. And so he's, like, picking out men for them to marry at some point. Mm. And Kinesis like, absolutely not. We're not having that happen. So he starts getting – like, the more that they start butting heads and she starts looking for a separation – he starts to get more fanatical and anti-Westernized. Mm-hmm. And this is around the time that Adam is diagnosed. So I think it's like an overload of stress plus the fact that he's already about to lose his freaking mind. Yeah. Apparently, whenever he gets diagnosed, his father's really cold about it and like doesn't want to talk to him about it, doesn't get like – doesn't even really appear to be phased, but is very like, oh, that's terrible. Like Jeez. that's it. He apparently, while Adam was sick, was still on his case about not going to mosque. And um, Adam was getting treatment and was really sick. And he would be like, you still need to go to mosque. Oh my word. Right. Yeah, it's a lot. He was jealous of the attention that Kanise was giving Adam. Um, and so they think that it was a cultural honor killing. And so he is charged with the murder of everybody in his family. And he is still in prison today. Whoa. Yup. Isn't that nuts? Yeah. Um, I forgot to tell you this, but at work, sometimes we get um, people that are like in prison asking for um, like if we do majors where you can send them the information, like the tests and stuff. Oh. And then they can like mail it back to us and like get a degree from that. I forget what oh. it's called. But we got a letter the other day and my boss came up to me and my coworker and we we're like, do you guys want to like look this person up, like respond to them and tell them whatever. And so we looked this person up and him and his wife got sentenced to 25 years in prison to life for like mistreatment malnutrition sexual abuse neglect to their like i think that it was 13 children and they got busted in 2018 uh, do you know who i'm talking about yes the one that had the, they had adult children yes oh the my god this one was 29 and the youngest one was three. Oh my god i know and exactly what family you're yes, talking about the turp the turpins turpins yes it was the dad who wrote into us no yes and he said he was looking for a christian college <gasps> and so we looked up the case and everything we watched like videos and it that was case is crazy. nuts. Yeah, they yes. had they were like adult children, and yes. he had them the like in chains. Nine year old one looked like they were seventeen <gasps> at most, and they restricted them to only showering once a year. Uh huh. I remember this. And majority of them were girls. <gasps> How do you have a period and you can't shower or? Oh my god! I shower almost every hour. Whenever I'm on my period, imagine being told you can shower once a year. Once a year. And, like, you're just sitting there. You're not being fed. We looked at, like, pictures of the home. And from the outside, you would have no idea. You would have no idea. But I remember that. the inside is disgusting. <gasps> it, it was They really applied sad. to Southeastern. Well, they wrote in to see if we, like, offered a degree program we? that you could do that. I don't think so. We were honestly spending so much time looking it up that I forgot <laughs> to ask my boss. <gasps> Um, but I don't think that we do. But it was just so interesting. And I was like, oh, Haley would love 
too. That's nuts. Yeah. And they, like the mom and the dad look psycho. They do look psycho. They he has like a bowl cut. Psycho. Yeah. He needs to change that. And she looks like Michelle Duggar times 4,000. Uh, yes, like she drugs. looks like she has like, like Michelle Duggar with crazy eyes. Uh huh. Oh my God. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. I don't know how I remembered that. And up we were like, he learning. wrote, like, this is his penmanship. And, like, he was That makes you want to vomit. Isn't that That weirdly? was, like, a big thing whenever like it came eerie. out. That's I so never bizarre. heard of it. I don't know anything. I don't – I never know about this kind of stuff. This is – that just reminded me. One of my professors, I still have to beg her. Um, she's my supervisor now. And she told me that she – in college, she took some class on – did I tell you this? Mm-hmm. She took some class – I want to say it's on like serial killers or something like it was on the psychology of it or maybe it wasn't maybe I made that up I don't know and she said that one of the her professors had said if you write into a prison and you can get a letter back from like a murder or serial killer or some like notorious figure uh, if you get a letter back it's an automatic you pass this class like whatever so she wrote in to Charles Manson Oh. He wrote her back. They became pen pals. No. I swear to God. And she said, like, at first, and I haven't seen them, but she said at first the letters were, like, not normal. Like, they sounded like a a guy that's clearly out of his mind, but, you know, whatever. But then they aggressively, like, became him, like, cussing her out and being like, you stupid bitch. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Because he's crazy. Like, he just, I don't know. Apparently... Jeez. Yes. That's crazy, though. I know. So she I still has to show us the letter. She was going to show us, but obviously COVID, so we didn't go back to class. But oh, she was sure. going to bring them in. Ooh. Crazy. Okay. Ready for the third one? Yeah. Okay. This one is Magda Goebbels, which is from – he was considered the unofficial first lady of Nazi Germany. Crazy. Wait. You said he was – She. I said she. I think you said he. Did I say he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, she was considered the unofficial first lady of Nazi Germany. She is the wife of Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels, mm. who I guess if you are into World War II, you probably would know that, but whatever. So Magda has one son from a previous marriage, and then she marries Joseph Goebbels in 1931. She met him when he was speaking at a Nazi party event in September of 1930. Apparently, Joseph was jealous because Hitler had a crush on her, so they got married to prove that she wanted to be with Joseph and not Hitler. Ew. Yeah. Over the years, they get really close with Hitler, and they're always at each other's houses. They have six kids together, Joseph and Magda do, and they're considered public allies to Hitler. But in private, as the war efforts start to go on, Magda is starts to get like more and more skeptical of what's going on and starts to question Hitler's methods. In 1944, she realizes that he's getting way too fanatical and that he's lying to the public in all of his speeches. And she's like, something fishy is going on. Mm-hmm. Obviously, do I trust this woman's ethics? Probably not, but it seems like she's starting to catch on a little. There are stories from Jewish people back in the day who swear that Magda helped them get out of Germany with exit visas, but there's nothing to confirm it. But there's a lot of people that say that she, like, realized what was happening was wrong and tried to fix it. Not that that makes her an angel by any means, but apparently she is catching on. So in April 1945, Magda writes a letter to her son, Harold, the one from a previous marriage. She tells him in this note that she knows that the end of the war is coming. She knows what's going to happen once everyone finds out about the heinous crimes of the Holocaust. And she doesn't want the kids to be left without parents because she has six kids now. She says that she has to remain loyal to the Fuhrer even in death. Magna was among the last to see both Hitler and Eva Braun alive before they committed suicide on April 30th. So the following day, which is May 1st, Magda and Joseph um, arranged for the SS dentist, Helmut Kunz. 
terrible name, to inject their six children with morphine so that they're unconscious and then give them cyanide to be crushed into their mouths so they're unconscious once they're given the cyanide. So basically this is what was written after the fact that Magda left after she had this happen. If I tell the truth, I must reveal what sort of man he was, must describe all that had happened behind the scenes. Then any respectable person would turn from me in disgust. It would be equally impossible to do the opposite, that is to defend what he has done, to justify him to his enemies, to speak up for him out of true conviction. That would go against my conscience. So you see, it would be quite impossible for me to go on living. We will take the children with us. They are too good, too lovely for the world which lies ahead. In the days to come, Joseph will be regarded as one of the greatest criminals that Germany has ever produced. His children would hear that said daily. People would torment them, despise them, humiliate them. Um, So apparently that night she had helped the girls, all the little girls, change into long white nightgowns. And then she softly combed their hair, had the dentist come up and inject them with morphine. Um, After their children were dead, Magda and Joseph Goebbels walked up to the garden and that's where they committed suicide. And that's Magda Goebbels. Yeah. So her idea was that she was going to save the kids from, like, shame. Yeah. Which is, I mean, honestly, probably true because, I mean, if her parents were actual war criminals. So she's considered the paranoid type because, but granted, I don't think that she was, like, insane because a lot of paranoid types will, like, kill them because they think the government's spying on them or because they think that they're, like, that kind of thing. Um, Or they think their family's going to be taken from them. They're going to live a life of shame time because of her parents yep dang that's 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 i mean it's not a hard decision i you shouldn't kill anybody <laughs> but at the same time like that's kind of sad that you know your innocent children are gonna like live in the shadow of mm-hmm. all your failures and right. hear that mm-hmm. forever yeah Ooh, is there any descendants of hitler uh i don't think not so. direct obviously because they didn't have children probably no but like not that anyone knows and uncles. That's what I'm wondering, like actually. Brothers and sisters, I mean. I would assume it has to be some out there. Ooh. I mean, I bet I wonder if they know it. Yeah, and if they do or other people did, I'm sure that they would get crapped on. Do you have any German in your in your No, family? we thought that we were German for a long time, but um we did a big family reunion with uh, I have some family in Denver, and mm-hmm. we all went there. It was the first time that we were all together on my mom's side for, like, a very long time. Yeah. And that's where we thought we had German in us, and, like, all my mom's mm-hmm. and my dad's. And we found out we don't have any German in us. Oh. Yeah. Isn't that so weird how that goes around? Like, people think they have some stuff in their family that they don't. Yeah. Like, we, I remember thinking, my family just told me they were teasing me over Christmas that were actually, like, very Scottish, and I had no idea. They were like, Haley, what do you think Graham came from? Like, that's literally from Scotland. And I was like... I literally thought – I don't know what I thought. I didn't know what – I That's didn't like, think it at all. When I took that uh, DNA – or not mm-hmm. DNA test. I guess it was a DNA test. I found out stuff about my dad's side that I didn't know, that there was, like, traces of South American. Oh, and you Native know that. American Ooh, and English weird. on my dad's side, which our last name is English. Mm-hmm. So I knew that. I knew, I knew Native American, but I have, like, 15% from, like, different locations in South America. Hmm. My family is very English, too. What if our families were friends? I doubt it. Just let me have it. Please. Okay. Okay. All right. Last one. So this guy um, has an entire podcast – or not podcast. An entire documentary that's on Amazon Prime that's really interesting. But um, this guy's in Scottsdale, Arizona. His name is Robert Fisher. And this one's really interesting. 
And he's the one that I hate the most out of all of these guys, which granted, I hate them all, but this guy really sucks. So there is a house explosion in a suburban neighborhood in April of 2001. This is the home of Robert and Mary Fisher. They have two preteen children, Brittany and Bobby. Robert is a nurse at Mayo Clinic. He's really active in their church. They're like, it's a very like, have you ever seen that documentary Jesus Camp? No. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, It's a really good, interesting documentary. But it's like a church that's like, they're kind of like Baptist-y, non-denominational-y sort of. I don't know. They're very intense. Active kids. It's like the all-American family. Always a bad sign. The mm-hmm. bodies of the wife and two kids are found and recovered in the home explosion. And they don't find Roberts in the ash. Wow. They think that there must have just been this crazy home explosion that like a gas pipe had broke. That's like immediately what they think happened. But yeah. as they start investigating, they find uh, that Mary was actually shot in the head. And they find that the kids' throats have been slashed. So clearly something crazy has gone on. And this family is so normal that automatically they think that Robert must just be out of town on a hunting trip or something because he's a really avid hunter. They think that he must have gone on a trip and he's going to come back and find this house. Um, The family pastor says that they, they talk to him and he says that there's no red flags. He was the counselor for the couple. They So they put everything on the news and they try not to say that there's anything about murders. They say that there was this crazy accident because they think that maybe Robert might come back. And even if they are, once they start to get, they realize something has gone on and they are a little bit suspicious because Robert hasn't come back. They are thinking if we publicize it as murders, he's never, he's definitely not coming back. So basically background to the family I have on here, they are Christian Christians. They're like very old school, like traditional yeah if you watch the documentary y'all kind of get what i mean i don't know whatever so mary's father is getting interviewed he's like on tv and he's insisting that there's no way robert did this he cries on tv and he says robert we love you please just come home i don't know what's going on we don't know anything for sure but we'd really like for you to come home please come home but eventually it does get leaked that he is a suspect um and lead detectives aren't happy about that they don't know who the mole was but someone basically leaks that mary had been shot and that their throats had been slashed They find that the house was covered in gasoline and that a natural gas line was cut to cause an explosion. Okay. So there was a fire and an explosion happening. They find a number of weapons in the home, except they know that he has a concealed gun on him because he has a concealed carry license. But he's a really, like, he's a gun collector. He hunts a lot. He has guns all over the house. They think that the bullet came from the gun that he keeps on him. They are able to trace it back. So then they have an idea it's probably him. The family dog is also gone as well. Their Toyota 4Runner is gone, which is Mary's car. There's ATM footage of Robert taking $200 from the ATM down the road, and they think that it was probably after he killed the family. But they don't really understand why anything had happened. Apparently, Mary is described as dedicated, loving, and fun. She's a really good mom. Um, when they start digging, they find that even though everyone else sees Robert as this like family man on the surface, like this church going guy who really loves his family, apparently there's a whole other side of him. He is very controlling. Mary can't put anything in the walls on the house without his permission. What does that mean? Like if she wants to hang stuff up on the walls oh, or decorate the house. In the walls. Oh, no. Like, on the walls. Interesting then she has to get permission from him. He's really difficult to get along with apparently. And like he has weird social cues. Like sometimes they say that it, he always just seemed a little bit off, but like. Not by much. So it wasn't yeah. suspectable that he was like a 
really weird. Yes. Um, there's a few home videos that they show in the documentary that are just eerie looking back on it. And at the time, they probably wouldn't have been that weird. But looking back on it now, everyone's like, why the heck did we not know this? Some of them, he seems like a family man. And then others, he just seems like a controlling asshole. Like, he is, she's, she would be recording him and he'd be like, put the camera down right now. And she was like, oh, let me record this. You're holding the baby. And he would be like, no, put it down. Like, oh. really. And she, she didn't really take any of his crap. Like, she wasn't like a, she wasn't just going to sit down. But it, it was obvious he tried to make it seem that way. Mm. It was just weird. Um, he also, like I said, loves hunting, but some of his friends said that they wouldn't go with him because he got really reckless. Um, one time, one of his friends said they got an elk, um, and they were gutting it after they shot it, and they turned around, and Robert had smeared the elk blood all over him. Ew. Yeah. For what? Um, just, I don't know. Weirdo? Well, people say that they thought that he wasn't really in it for, they were like, it, it wasn't really hunting for sport. It was like hunting for killing. Yeah. Like. Yeah. In one of the home videos, also, he's fake shooting his wife with a toy gun, which is haunting now, yeah. all things considered. So the night of the murder, apparently, Mary takes Bobby to his hunting class. Like I said, very this family is different. They come home that night. There's a loud argument between Mary and Robert that the neighbors hear. And apparently this is common. They always have fights like this. She goes to bed. He stays awake. And he decides that he just is done. And he needs to kill all of them. So he... Goes through, kills the family. Takes the dog with him. Uh, apparently, he loves that dog. Then he goes to the ATM, takes out a few hundred dollars, but doesn't take out the rest of his assets. So people don't know why he did that. Hmm. You can only take out a certain amount of a t at a time, though. So clearly, it wasn't like if he would have thought it through, like, I'm going to do it on this day, he probably would have taken it out in increments so that he had more money. But he only took out that $200 that night. Hmm. Um, he never goes back to take out more. They think that he had planned it, like thought of it ahead of time, but wasn't planning on doing it that night specifically. Like he just knew that at some point he would have done it. But they realized that there was a 10 hour jump from when he did it to when the house blew up. So he had like a fair oh. chunk of time ahead yeah. on them that they can't like, he would have gone far, not crazy far, like, but far yeah. enough. So information comes out that Robert had an affair at one point in the marriage about a year before the murders took place. They found out because he... <laughs> contracted a UTI from a massage therapist oh, who gave gosh. him a little happy ending. Stop. I know. And then after that, he had an, like an affair, affair, like an actual affair, but no, there's no other information or proof. Some people say that that didn't happen and some people say it did. So it's kind of iffy. He uh, apparently would throw it in Mary's face a lot though, whenever oh, they would get into gosh. fights and their fights were considered explosive. They would always fight a lot, but one after the affair happened or this UTI or whatever the hell happened, they would get, you know, it's either a fair or UTI. I don't know. There's a lot going on. Their fights are really, really bad. Neighbors reported that most of the screaming came from Mary almost on a daily basis. Wow. They would have blowouts and he would just leave for days and go camping with the dog. And Mary apparently complained to Robert's mother that he was being really controlling, hard-headed, and stubborn. And he just looks like a jerk. Like he just is. They think a woman might have helped him get away because apparently there was a sighting at a bar up north uh, in northern Arizona that Robert Fisher was with a woman. Oh, What was that? Something just dropped off of your refrigerator. Ew. Anyways, a neighbor said that as the years went on, they lived in the same house that Robert was looking more defeated and burdened as the years went on. He just looked exhausted from all the fighting. His sister is in the documentary, and she thinks that the divorce of 
their parents played a role in Robert's opinions of marriage and divorce, and he doesn't want a divorce. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that to the kids. Divorce just is not an option. So in Young, Arizona, there's a sighting of the car. Uh, that meets the description of the forerunner. And so they go up and they find it. It does turn out to be Mary's missing car. Uh, It's been there for two to five days. And Robert was familiar with the area because he used to hunt up there a lot. So it makes sense why he went there. Um, It has a ton of thick vegetation. It's like a ton of caves in the area. It's where it's, it's difficult to find anything there because it's like really rocky terrain. So they go up, they search the forest over and over again. They are never able to find anything in the forest. Whoa. Yeah. So to this day, Robert Fisher has never been located. What? Yes. He is still a fugitive. He is on the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. Like if you look up the no. FBI's top 10 most wanted, he's I think he's like number two. Yeah. Um, <gasps> his terrifying. sister in the documentary is still hoping, is holding out hope that he didn't do it because she says that's so not characteristic of him at all. She doesn't think that any other leads were ever looked at. He took all of his stuff and disappeared though. So it's like – why why you take all your stuff before yeah she said she knows that he was pretty controlling but he was a very compassionate man but then they're talking about tips that he might be in places that weren't like in canada and stuff and then this woman his sister says my first thought was there's no way that robert's in canada my brother hates to travel girl he just killed his whole family i, I don't think he cares about like traveling at this mm-hmm. point like he probably he might have hated to travel but now he doesn't want to go to prison. So right. there's also been sightings of him in Guatemala. Um, one of the things in Guatemala, there was a guy who got pissed after being in the background of a photo who matched the description according to tourists. Ooh. And he like got he was yelling at them like, you need to leave that photo of him in the background. So no one knows. They attempted to identify, um, but they weren't able to find anyone. He also has a very average looking face. <laughs> like he just looks like every middle-aged white guy. She and looks so like every other <laughs> just shut up. Um, so there's a lot of sightings that aren't helpful, but yeah, they've never been able to find him. And, uh, they don't know if he like, he took enough stuff with him and like, he didn't take a ton of money out either. So they think that he might have gone out to the woods and killed himself and they just never found the body, but they don't know if he's alive, where he could be, how, if he just is under another name in another country, no one knows. Oh my gosh, I don't like it. And then there's his weirdo sister who thinks that he might not have done anything, which... Mm, I'm not. Oh. I'm not. Oh, honey. That story. So yeah, those are family annihilators. Terrifying. Terrifying. So everybody, watch out for your husbands. I also realized that the last true crime one we did was Charlie Branch, which was another murderer of families. So everybody, just watch you marry, okay? That's so scary. Yep. Oh no, I know. I which I know that also doesn't help because you are terrified of families killing each other. Well. <laughs> What? I can't imagine anyone not being terrified of that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So, yeah. Yikes. Those are family annihilators. Thank you for telling me about my fears. <laughs> You're welcome. <gasps> Here for you, Maddie Hood. Oh, my God. All right, everybody. Wear a mask. Lock your doors. Lock your doors. Um, I meant wear a mask, like, to the grocery store, not, like, wear a ski mask, you know? <laughs> um, toxic, yeah. All right, well. Ooh, let us know what your toxic trait is. We'll put it on our story or something for you. Oh, true. Also, um, our friend Alexis is paying us quite literally $2 for her to have a 10-minute uh, – 10-minute, uh, nope, Whoa. a 10-second um, little blurb about her. Um, whatever she wants to say. Whatever she wants she to say. She has the, those 10 seconds to do it. It's so. her ad, but she can talk about literally anything she wants. So, you know, if you want an ad – 
Venmo me a dollar. If you want to be featured on our podcast, <laughs> I hate the. You have ten seconds to say whatever you want. Yeah. Unless it's really bad. This is actually not a business venture that we discuss. We're just saying it right now. So yeah. you know what it sounds like an awesome idea in the moment. Okay, that's that. Bye. Bye. Average and all even.